That's Isaiah 43, starting at verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burnt, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honoured, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no saviour. Titus chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Well, do you believe in the Apostle Paul's strategy to save an ungodly society? Faced with one of the most famously ungodly societies in the known world, and with churches being ravaged by false teachers, what would you do? Well, verse 5, written to Paul's number 2, Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Appoint men who the truth has changed to teach the truth in the churches on Crete. Well, what do you make of his strategy? 
I might have thought about an AD 30 vision for the Cretan churches or a social media strategy or a fundraising campaign so we had a nice building to meet in or maybe hiring some management consultants, lobby the government for reform on Crete or hold a massive celebration event and pray for revival. No. Step one, appoint transformed teachers. But of course, this has to be the answer because of the crucial relationship we saw in verses one to four last week. Knowledge of the truth leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life. Teach the truth. It will bring transformation in the church and salvation in Crete and even transformation in an ungodly society. If you want to fix any man-centered problem, racism, sexism, violence, fraud, whatever it is, teach this transforming gospel. Our city needs many Bible teachers to go to work to teach this transforming gospel. So do you believe in the Apostle Paul's strategy to save an ungodly society? Now, just in case you're thinking, here we, here we go again. This one's not for me. Classic St. Helens, another talk on teaching the Bible. Well, please can I ask you to just keep listening for a few minutes. This letter was written to Titus, maybe someone like William or Anarin, with the task of appointing leaders. But the letter ends in 3 verse 15 with the assumption that all the Christians on Crete will listen. We all need to hear this message. We need to understand the role of Titus and the leaders he appoints so we know how to get behind them today. We need to understand how important having transformed teachers is in God's salvation strategy. They teach us the truth that will produce godliness in us. So we live transformed lives which are shining adverts to our lost world of the gospel of Christ. That is God's strategy to save our ungodly city, our country, this world. Our godliness, our world salvation is in the hands of our Bible teachers who teaches us really matters. If you are in any sort of position of Christian leadership, then the principles in this passage will be important for us. If you're joining us maybe for the first time today, I hope you'll see how seriously we take who our leaders are as a church There might be a few people here for the first time choosing a church in London. Well, if that's you, what we see here will be really critical as you make your decision. If you are looking into the Christian faith, I hope you'll see our God cares greatly about who leads churches. If constant leadership failures frustrate you, Boris or other MPs, the police or the CBI... Well, I hope you'll see that the church is different. We're going to split our time between two equally critical aspects of Paul's strategy. Firstly, the requirement for church leaders to have been transformed by the gospel themselves. And secondly, the task of those leaders, 
teaching the Bible. Just before we dive in, we should note that the assumption in these verses is that the overall leadership of a church is to be done by men. It's a subject some of us may have questions about, and so I've put a link on the handout to a really helpful talk by Luke Cornelius, who leads the 6pm congregation, on a similar passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where our writer, the Apostle Paul, explains why this is the case. But do please come and grab me or, or Drew, or we can find someone else to help you think this through if you don't want to chat to us, if that's a question that you've got. Our writer Paul, though, he is pro-women and leadership roles for women in the life of the church are essential. Come back for Titus chapter 2 to hear more. So as Paul instructs Titus to appoint church leaders, what should they be like? Well, first point, they should be people who have been transformed by the truth. Transformed. A church needs leaders whose lives have obviously been changed by God's gospel of grace. Now, there are two key questions that underlie these verses. One, has he been changed by the gospel? Verse six says, appoint those who are above reproach or blameless. Not perfect, but there needs to be no charge that can be brought against them. They need to be people who've obviously changed from being Cretans, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons in 1 verse 12, to Christians. And the second question, is he a proven leader of change? The answer to both questions must be yes to appoint him to a position of oversight or to be an elder, two terms that are used interchangeably in the passage to speak of the leader or senior leaders of a church. Paul explains two areas of their lives where transformation must be seen, first in their family life and second in their life in the church and the wider world. Firstly, their families. Elders are to be husbands of one wife. They must be faithful to their wives. And whether they're married or not, are they fighting the sin of sexual immorality? And as we look to his family, his children should be, verse 6, believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. If the elder has children, they should be believers or more literally faithful, their lives should be transformed as well. Their actions are not to bring the gospel into disrepute. But why does it matter that this area of their lives is transformed? Well, verse 7 explains that the overseer is to be the steward of God's household, the church. He'll be a household manager for God. So before appointing an overseer, Look at how he leads his own household. If he's been faithful to his own wife, he can be trusted to care for the bride of Christ, the church. If he's able to bring order in his own household and raise his children to know Jesus, well, he can be trusted to do this in God's household. I really clearly remember going for a walk with a church leader at my last church and two of his children and 
and seeing how he lovingly disciplined his children, reminding them of the goodness of God's ways, seeking to raise those children to know Jesus. Well, if he's not a family leader, is his life generally in order or has he shown leadership in another sphere of church life, for instance? Has he been changed? Is he a proven leader of change? Two ticks will appoint those kind of men. The second sphere of life where transformation must be seen is his life in the church and wider world. Let's look back at verses 7 and 8. Page 1200, if you've closed your Bibles, verse 7 and 8. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Remember our key questions. Has he been changed? Is his life above reproach, which is defined for us here in a list of five negatives and six positive? And can he be a leader of change? If he doesn't have these qualities or can't be seen to be growing in them, don't appoint him yet. He will struggle in the job. He could harm the spread of the gospel. If you are in any sort of position of Christian leadership, please would you look at this list later and consider your life. Ask the Lord to help you make progress in these areas. I found this challenging to work through and consider where I need to make progress. So we see in verse 7, he's not to be arrogant or overbearing. He's, he's not to be someone who will manipulate or wrongly use power or to be tempted to lord it over others. He's not to get angry or impatient quickly. He's not to be known for a lack of control with booze. He shouldn't seek change with his fists or be a bully. And in contrast to the Cretan false teachers described in verse 11, He's not to be greedy for gain, just in it for the paycheck rather than the people. Rather, he's to be hospitable. Now, that's not speaking about making a nice risotto when he has dinner party guests. Rather, can he work with people, particularly strangers? Does he love good rather than himself? Not prioritizing himself like selfish unbelievers. Is he self-controlled? This term appears throughout the letter. It's the key catchword of the transformation that the gospel brings in ungodly Crete. In an immoral and out of control society, his life should be disciplined rather than disordered. Upright and holy, they speak of controlling physical desires, godly restraint based on a knowledge of God's will, behaving in a way that is fair just honest. Has he been changed by the gospel? Yes. Well, he can be an example to the church. He won't bring shame on the gospel. Does he have the qualities needed to lead change? Yes. Well, appoint those men. Now, over at the uh, 6 p.m., the annual St. Helens seaside trip is fast approaching four weeks for people to get their beach bods ready for the summer. Now, 
I am just kidding about that. But I'm sure as you've uh, gone down into Liverpool Street Station, if you've gone down the escalators, you've seen those adverts to get a ripped body with those pictures of the before and then after their transformation under some fitness regime. Well, just imagine for a minute if you turned up for one of those fitness classes and you found out that scrawny little me was your personal trainer. I mean, no muscles, that's only the rolled up shirt sleeve and no, you know, there's no six pack under there. Well, you'd leave, wouldn't you? You need someone who's been transformed themselves to lead your transformation. Well, how much more so for those leading change in God's church? We hate hypocrisy and so does our world. The church leader's life must match his message The truth on the lips of an untransformed teacher risks people not listening to the truth or thinking that his sin is acceptable. People's salvation and our godliness is at stake. Now, there are two important observations as we look at these requirements that affect how we apply this. Firstly, these areas of transformation are all in areas of life that can be seen You can see his family life. You can observe his behavior. Is he living an obviously changed life to before he was a Christian or to the culture around him? If you rang up his boss at work and asked about him, would he have a reputation as a good employee? Or would the boss be shocked? You've you've asked him to lead a church. You see, the outward lifestyle is evidence of the inward change. Knowledge of the truth leads to godliness, which is public and visible. We cannot know what is going on in people's hearts. Only God does. But the life lived in a consistently Christ-like way is evidence of inner change. So we should watch people's lives carefully over a prolonged period of time, before asking them to step into leadership, not rushing them forward. And we don't need psychological exams or to see their Myers-Briggs score or leadership tests. I'm not saying that those things are totally useless, but the key test, are they living a changed life? It's much easier to lie when asked a question about your conduct than to fake it for years on end. When we ask our Bible study leaders to put people forward as potential future leaders, we ask them to consider if the person is living a transformed life like Titus 1 says. Recently, we've seen leadership failures in churches in the UK and further afield. I'm so sorry if you have been a victim in any way please do speak to someone you trust if you haven't got help yet. But Titus chapter one is God's safeguard against leadership failure. Only appoint someone if his life has been transformed by the gospel of grace. Now this won't stop every leadership failure. Sin is powerful and people can deceive But it's hard to do that for a long time and in the whole of life. 
So this guards against paralysis, never choosing new leaders for fear of them failing. But it also stops permissiveness. Leaders must be transformed. Second observation. As you read this list, do you think this is a high or a low bar? Titus 1 is really just a description of a transformed Christian. It's not an exceptionally high bar. These are qualities that all Christians should have or be aspiring towards. Do we prize these sorts of qualities? Well, do you think the person described in these verses is a bit dull? No, this is a good, ordered, respectable, Christ-like life. Find men who've been obviously transformed by the truth like this. That's all you need. Do we believe the salvation of London relies on the godliness of our leaders? Do we prize it? Will we commit to pray for the ongoing godliness of William, of Anarin? Do you pray for and support your RML leaders as they grow in godliness? Appoint men who've been transformed by the truth. And their task is to be teachers of the truth. Our second point, appoint transformed teachers. Teachers. We see their task is to be teachers of the truth in verse 9. Please look that. Look back down with me. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We see that their teaching has two aspects to it, instructing in sound or healthy doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict this healthy doctrine. Now, we sometimes get a bit nervous about rebuking. Isn't isn't that a bit unkind? But it is essential to protect the truth. Done carefully by a verse 7 to 8 man, it will be a good thing because it is the truth contained in the word of God, taught by these Bible teachers that brings about transformation. Our godliness is in the hands of our Bible teachers. So surely that means we must look for the very best Bible teachers to do this job. Find the man with the first class degree in theology. Well, notice the qualification for those men to do the task at the start of verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why is this what should be looked for rather than looking for the most gifted teacher? Well, continuing to teach the truth week in, week out requires determination. Rebuking opponents who will see next week are deceitful is hard. Being the leader of change in a hostile culture that doesn't want to hear your message could be demoralizing. When you struggle with sin yourself, you may be tempted to change the message. We're so used to our political leaders changing their minds, secure this week, flip-flopping on the two-child policy. But, But Bible teachers, they have people's godliness and the salvation of the lost in their hands. It is far more serious if they flip-flop. So find a man who's been proven to hold firm 
to the trustworthy apostolic word who knows the truth as seen in his transformed life, who cares about the word of God being held out without compromise. He doesn't need a PhD in theology or an MDiv in doctrine or to be the most charismatic leader or the most gifted speaker. No, has he been proven to hold firm to the word under pressure? Is he living a countercultural lifestyle? If he's been transformed himself, he'll be able to teach the truth that has changed him. Now, just think back uh, uh, with me for a minute to me being your personal trainer. Crazy, I know. Well, imagine for a minute that I was actually ripped, which is even harder to believe. uh, But just, just stick with me for a minute. Because if you, if you knew I was actually in really good shape, that I'd been in excellent shape for years, that I diligently dieted, that I'd always followed my workout routine, well, just maybe then you would trust me to train you. Well, in the same way, if you see a transformed man who is holding firm to the trustworthy word, well, you can trust him and his teaching Now, we must be careful. I'm not saying an ability to teach is irrelevant. Similar passages like 1 Timothy 3 list this as a necessary gift for overseers. And we should strive for excellence in our Bible teaching. But an ability to teach, that can grow. We should look to train as Bible teachers those who hold to the trustworthy word as taught Better a C minus but faithful teacher than an unproven boffin who will twist the message at the first sign of trouble. I found this a helpful corrective personally as I think about training future Bible study leaders. I sometimes have overvalued teaching ability compared to this characteristic. So, step one of Paul's How to Save Crete manual. Titus, appoint transformed Bible teachers. The transformation of our Bible teachers is essential. Their teaching is essential. They must teach the Bible to produce godliness in the church. So the church is a shining advert of the gospel in the world. Well, as we close, let me suggest three areas of application though I'm sure you'll think of more as we chat over food at After Fives. Firstly, knowing the importance of Bible teachers in God's salvation strategy will mean we want to back our Bible teachers in prayer for their teaching and godliness, encouraging them when the task is hard. Go on an errand. Well, maybe not quite like that, but, but you get the idea. We need our Bible teachers to be growing in godliness and to keep teaching us the truth so we are transformed, so we are that church that is a shining advert to the world of the gospel. There is no hope for our city if we get this wrong. Second, knowing that the people who teach us impacts our godliness will affect who we listen to. Today, we have access to thousands of Christian teachers online. 
Do we consider whether the teachers we're listening to are living transformed lives? We can see the transformed lives of our Bible teachers at church, but not those online. Now, I'm not saying don't trust anyone. There'll be loads of godly teachers out there to benefit from. But it matters we know that those we're listening to are transformed because our godliness is in their hands. Thirdly and finally, if someone says that you are living a transformed Christian life, if they've seen you hold firm to God's word and they ask you to get involved in Bible teaching, what's stopping you? We must pray urgently for the Lord to raise up more transformed Bible teachers. We need more. We've seen their importance in God's salvation strategy. You could be part of God's salvation strategy for London, for the UK, or another part of the world. How to save London, our country, our world today. Step one, appoint transformed teachers to teach the truth. Our godliness is in the hands of our Bible teachers. The salvation of the lost relies on having transformed Bible teachers. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would raise up many transformed Bible teachers to teach the truth in churches across London so that we'd grow in godliness and be adverts to our world for you. Please grow the godliness of all those who teach us the Bible, of William, of Anarin, of our RML leaders. And please encourage them in their ministry. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.